are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from, everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Well, good morning. My name is Michael Scott, and I'm the pastor here at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, and I just want to thank you for joining us. And um, we're talking about tables. This is week two of Reclaim the Table. And I want to talk about one of my favorite tables today, and that's the, our tables at work. Now, if you think about it, a desk is just the table, right? Or we spend time at conference tables at our offices. Uh, if you work in retail and you're checking somebody out, what is that in front of you? That's a, that's a table. Uh, and I believe life happens around tables. So I want to take you back about 11 years to 2009. And uh, I'm in my conference room um, at work. I'm at the office. And we had just wrapped up one of the biggest, not one of, the biggest project that my company had ever participated in. And we just wrapped it up, and I had taken a promotion, and I felt all the stress and all this pain and anxiety. And I'm sitting in the conference room, and my boss comes in, and him and I have a meeting. Y'all like meetings with the boss, right? Those are a lot of fun. And he brings his stack of paperwork, and we're getting ready to go over the paperwork. There's quotes and bids and stuff that we needed to review. And I'm sitting there, and I'm clearly not having the best day of my life. And uh, there were some things going on, and there's a person that had hurt me a lot, and, and I was, it was just welling up inside me, and I felt betrayed. You ever have a coworker betray you or hurt you or stab you in the back? Anybody? I mean, I, I think we've all experienced that. And this one hurt a lot. I was going through a very rough time, and I'm telling this to my boss, and uh, I, I, tears like well up in my eyes. Like, this is how much of a hard time I'm having with this. And um, he stops. His name was Eric, and to this day, I love Eric for this. And he stops, and he looks up at me, and, and he pushes the paperwork to the side as we're sitting in the conference room. He's like, all right, now you and I, we can get up and we'll leave right now. We can go kick his butt except that's not what he said. And I'm sitting there, you know, and I got tears rolling up in my eyes, and I'm like, (sighs) like I was that close to taking him up on it. You ever been like that? You ever felt that? But something changed for me that day. All of a sudden, this boss, this guy who hired me, the executive vice president of this company, became a real human being. He actually cared about what I was going through. He actually cared about me personally. He saw me. He didn't just see me as an employee or as somebody has worked for him or just a number, he saw me. And in return, I saw him. I saw a person who cared about another individual. That single event would go on um, to change the way I manage people. It would go on to change who I am as a person, as an employee, as a manager. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. But how many of you um, see your time in an office or in your work setting as an opportunity Uh, to invest in others. And so the language we're using is to reclaim the table. I feel like we've lost the art of what a table is. Uh, Jesus spent his entire ministry around different tables, whether it was party and wedding tables or just in people's houses sitting with them at their tables. Uh, I mean, last week we talked about the Last Supper, right? The series is based on that. Jesus and his friends, they sit down and they have this meal. And he says these words, he says, you're going to do this and you're going to do it often when you do it. Remember the sacrifice. He asks them to remember, but is it remember the sacrifice and the things that I've taught you? Now, little did they have any, they didn't really have any idea that he was getting ready to give his life for this cause. He was getting ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. 
And so we talk, or we're talking about how tables and why tables are important to our life. Tables, not just, it's not where we just feed our bodies. The table is where we feed our souls. And see, Jesus knew this. We all sit down at a table throughout all the history of time. Uh, every house that has been built, every place of business, we all have, and they all revolve around some sort of table. And I think it's our responsibility that we need to reclaim that table because we've gotten away from it. We've gotten away from the idea that we gather around a table to eat, but we also gather around a table to share ideas, to share a little bit of our soul with one another, to share, to talk about sacrifice. That's what Jesus was inviting us into. But this is not an easy thing to do. Uh, We struggle with this. We've lost the idea that the table is a place where we come together to build relationships and so last week I invited you. I, I invited you to, to text, and we, we had this little printout. This is the um, placemat, and it has all these different questions that you can ask, and so I invited all of you to do that. And, and the challenge last week was that you do that three times with your uh, family, with your significant other, whatever your context is, but that three different times last week that you would do that. I got my first call on Monday morning from my friend Megan. She says, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this. Uh, I sat down at the table with my son Connor last night, and she goes, and I had this, and I just started asking him questions. And he started answering, and she said, after a few minutes, he's like, Mom, what are you doing? But it worked. Several of you reached out to me. Several of you have talked to me. Uh, these questions, uh, investing in our families is where it all starts. That's where it all begins. But it doesn't stop in just our houses and in just our homes. There's more to reclaiming the table, and I believe that also applies to us in our work setting. Now, if you're employed full-time, we spend more time at work than anything else we do in life. If you're an hourly part-time person, the, the national average is you work 44 hours a week. If you're a salaried employee, the average is 49 hours a week. If you're self-employed, the average is almost 60 hours a week that you work. We spend more time doing uh, our jobs and being around other people than we do anything else in life. Uh, Now, some of you, you may spend more time sleeping. Uh, uh, My wife, she has to get like the eight hours of sleep every night. Uh, If I get four to six, I'm good. But but, but when we're awake, like we spend more time around our office people. And that's not just in an office setting or a retail setting or a restaurant, wherever it is that you find yourself working. I mean, now it's all changed to a digital format, right? Now we have Zoom calls. My wife, I know she was still working from home. She has, I don't know how many Zoom calls every week from home. It's just another table, and you're usually sitting at a table while you're having these calls, right? I mean, we spend more time with other people, and so how can we use the tables in our places of work around our coworkers and our employers? How can we use that time to invest in others, to build relationships, to make change, now, often, I think we think of coworkers as, uh, well, I won't speak for you. How I used to see my coworkers was that they were um, something, that we were in competition with each other. Can you guys relate to this? That we were, that, that a coworker uh, was not somebody that I was to invest in. A coworker was somebody I was to conquer, right? I was to do better than them. So I'm also Enneagram 3, I'm, I'm an achiever, so I struggle with this, but uh, I mean, do you all see your coworkers that way or your boss? Like you're just there. You're not there to invest in your boss. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. I believe Jesus invites us into a table at work that we are invest in, into everyone. Uh, now, this isn't unique um, to now. I mean, Jesus did this everywhere. 
And I want to read a story in the Bible where Jesus, well, he does this. Now, we know Jesus was raised by a carpenter, right? We say that Jesus was a carpenter, but the, 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 the three short years that we read about Jesus's life, uh, we don't find any record of him working and being a carpenter. His job, what he did most of the time, right? His 49 hours a week or 48, whatever it is, um, the national average for the average full-time employee, his 48 hours a week or nine hours a day or however you want to look at that, uh, was spent with people all the time. And so I want to read one of his stories where he's at a table with people and what he does in response to what's going on around him. So if you're following along with me, I'm reading from um, Luke 7. And I'm starting with verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. So the Pharisees in Jesus' day were the religious elite. They were the rule followers. They were the ones who um, did all the practices. They thought of themselves better than others. And they were called the Pharisees, the religious elite, right? We don't have those anymore in society. We've actually figured that out and fixed that, which I'm really happy about. So no laugh. That's sarcasm. I'm just kidding. We've not figured that out. We still struggle with this. Uh, it's everywhere right now about how one group is better than the other. Anyway, in Jesus' day, we called them Pharisees. So uh, one of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. Now, what's interesting is this happens a lot. So if you consider, um, the Pharisees were kind of considered, uh, for Jesus at least, like the other. Like these are the other people, they're the people he spent time with, but he's also trying to change their mind about things. He's trying to open, uh, expand their mind and their consciousness to new things and new ways of doing uh, faith, new ways of doing religion, church, however you want to describe that. Uh, but Jesus does this always. He does this around a table and he does it by telling stories. And so he's invited over, says he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping and raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. Now, in other research that I've done, uh, we read that this perfume that's very expensive was about the equivalent of a year's wages. So like that's how expensive this perfume was. So this, this woman comes in and it describes her as the town harlot, right? Um, but Jesus um, lets her wash his feet, right? Let's, let's go back to the story. Um, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. So Jesus is sitting at a dinner table. This woman comes in and their dinner tables were a little different uh, they were lower to the ground, and they would kind of lean and sit at them, and their feet maybe off to one side. And so Jesus is at the dinner table, and this woman comes in, and she washes um, his feet with her hair. And of course, last week we talked about this, right? Uh, if you weren't here, Jesus at the Last Supper, uh, the thing that we call now communion, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's four accounts of the story. In the fourth account in John, uh, Jesus does this thing where he washes other people's feet. So again, we see this theme of the washing of feet is, is this idea of sacrifice, that I'm going to submit, I'm going to be, become as low as they come by washing the lowest thing on your body, your feet. So Jesus is teaching them something. So this story also applies to that same theme. This woman is saying, I'm coming in and I'm submitting myself to you. I'm going to wash your feet. And so the, the, the Pharisee's mad. Like, we don't hang out with people like this. We don't, we don't talk to people like this. How dare you? If he's a man of God, 
Surely he wouldn't let her come in and do this. I mean, do you ever find yourselves doing that? Looking at other people saying, well, we don't hang out with those kind of people. As I look across the room and we're all like, you know, white people in a room. Of, you know, I mean, you can see where this applies to our lives every day. But, um, and so Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. <clears throat> and so Simon is the name of the Pharisee. He says, oh, well, tell me. He says, two men in debt were in debt to a banker. One owned 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? And so Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. Jesus is saying she's, she's made mistakes, but she can appreciate, you know, uh, this idea of forgiveness. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, so he's talking to, to, to Simon, the Pharisee, but he turns back over to the woman who's washing his feet. But speaking to Simon, he says, do you see this woman? I came to your home, you provided me no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guest be talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. I love this story because Jesus is sitting there at a table trying to teach people something, right? And he doesn't just do this with his words. He does it with his actions. He shows people around him what it means to make sacrifice and to love and to forgive. And he challenges everybody in that room. Of course, nobody actually heard what he was saying. Nobody could see the woman. And that's why he asked that question. Simon, do you see this woman? A woman who would have been somebody that they considered other, an outcast, a marginalized person, somebody we don't talk to or hang out with. Now, I want you to think of what that woman represents. What is the message that Jesus is trying to get across at that table? Insert whatever it is for you. Uh, we just had an election this week, right? Maybe you all haven't heard. We, we had an election. I didn't know. It's not been out in the news or anything very much lately. And so, um, but insert whatever word it is for you. Do you see this Republican? Do you see this Democrat? Do you see this woman? Do you see this man? Do you see this gay person? Do you see this fill in the blank? Black, white, brown. What, what is the person in your life that you don't see? You see, the brilliance of the table is that when we're talking and eating and talking about sacrifice and making sacrifice in our life, it opens our eyes to see the other. It opens our eyes to see the person at the table. There's this weird story about Jesus and this blind man. He's been blind from birth. He comes up to him, and, and he can't see anything, and, and he says he wants to be healed. And so Jesus bends down, and he spits into the dirt, into the mud, right, near the feet. And he makes, he makes mud out of the spit in the dirt, and he wipes it on the man's eyes. Now, I find it interesting 
that when we talk about the story, if you've ever heard the story, the man goes and washes his eyes, and he says, I can see. I once was blind, but now I can see. And I find it interesting that usually when we tell that story or we hear that story, we want to focus on some miracle, that there's some physical miracle that took place that the man couldn't see before, and now he can see. I want to open your eyes maybe to a new possibility, that the point of that story, the point of the story where Jesus is asking people to see the woman, is that Jesus bends down to the lowest part, to the ground, to the earth. He mixes spit into the earth, and he places it on the man's eye. The way to see is to ground yourself, to go down, to sacrifice to see others. And the miracle of that story is Jesus later tells us in, that, in, in, in the same book that he came to illuminate. He came to shed light. He came to help people see something different. He came to help people see the other. Now, at our places of work, often the other is who? who are, who's the other? Who's our nemesis at work? Give me one. I'll wait. Who's a nemesis at work? Who's somebody you don't like in your office? Not a name, a title. A boss, maybe? Maybe somebody who's challenging you? How many of us have been in an occupation where we have vilified our boss? Have you done that? Amy, put your hand down. We all do it. What if we took the time at our places where we're employed to see that the person sitting across from us at at that conference table, the person sitting across from us at at, at the desk, if you work in retail, the person across from that checkout counter, that's a real human being. And the invitation that Jesus is asking us to be a part of is that we see them, that we see who they are. After that day, um, I, I went through a, a dark time, a difficult time in my life, and it was because Eric took the time to invest in me and to care about who I was as a person that it changed me. Now, we did work in an office that had really bad office morale. Uh, everybody was grumpy. Nobody liked it. There's lots of complaining, long hours, all the things. You all have worked in environments like this, I'm sure. And one day... Um, I'm talking to a group of other managers, and we were just like, you know, we, we can change this. This is within our power to change this. And so my wife and I, uh, on Thursday nights, like once a month, we would, we would make cinnamon rolls. That was always the big thing was cinnamon rolls. I'd make cinnamon rolls, and we'd bring them in on Fridays, and everybody loved the cinnamon rolls. And I noticed something when I did that. I'd bring them out, and we'd set them at a table, right, in the conference room. And what would happen? Everybody would go in, and they'd get a cinnamon roll, and they'd sit around, and they'd talk. And I was like, ooh, that's cool. So I mean, we, we could do more of this. And so then we had, uh, we had a, a, I made chili, or I, or I made soup, and I would bring it in, and the same thing would happen. And then I'm like, you know, we should do more of this. And then we had, we had a, a chili competition, right, that I lost every year, and I'm still mad about this. But, <laughs> but I wanted something, right? I made, I made, I made really good cheese dip, um, Aaron Decker, Dean Shackley, Kate Jones, whoever's watching, Ginger Lee, if you guys are watching this, because uh, I know some of you do, these are all my old co-workers, I would make this cheese dip, and they called it crack dip, because they were convinced there was crack in it, but uh, these are just tools 
Remember last week when I said the very first table we read about is called an altar? And, and, and Noah gets off the ark, right? He gets off the ark after the flood, and he, and he makes this table, and he burns something on it. And it's a story about God smelling it. And God smells it, and he's like, oh. When he smells it, it reminds him of something. And he says, never again will I ever, will I ever kill everybody on the earth. You know, food um, is one of those things that we smell and it reminds us, right? This is what Jesus invites us into. When he takes bread and he breaks it and he hands it to people and they take wine and they pass it around the table. This is what Jesus is doing. The smells make us feel at home. It makes us feel connected. It reminds us that we all come from the same place. The dirt, the mud, the thing that helps us to see in the story when Jesus heals the blind man. These are our roots. These are the things that connect us. Food is the singular thing that connects everybody in life. And so we had all these, these like we, had, we started to think of Taste Test Tuesday. Like every other Tuesday, we'd pick a new thing. And we had a competition because I had to make everything competitive. Like, like I have a problem. My name is Michael Scott. I like to compete with everything in life. Okay, so like this is just, I struggle with this, but, but we made it fun. We embraced my brokenness. We, and, we, and we brought everybody in the office and we'd have all these competitions. And you know what happened? Office morale went from total crap to something beautiful. Because a few of us said, we have an opportunity every day. And maybe it was only once a week. My boss hated it, by the way, because uh, our department, we were a big department, but our department did this every few weeks. It's like people are walking through the building like, what are these people doing? You guys are wasting two hours a day. And I'm like, well, you know what? How's the bottom line doing right now? Good. How's office morale at right now? Good. Shut up. <laughs> now, we don't do it for those reasons, but I promise if you're a manager and a boss and you actually take time to invest in people and say that people's lives are valuable and don't treat them as a number and don't treat, don't treat profit as the highest thing, the most important thing for your business, I promise you those things will come. But it starts at a table, a desk, a checkout counter, a Zoom call. These are the things in life that change us, and they invite us to truly see one another. Our country right now is experiencing a tremendous, a tremendous amount of pain. Pain like I have not seen in my lifetime. Over following people who don't really care about them for the most part, is my opinion at least, on either side. We have to remember that each opportunity, every day of our lives, we have an opportunity to sit at a table to get to know one another, to invest in them, to see the other person as a real person, as a human being, as a person of honor and worth. And again, I want to challenge you. Last week, I invited you to text this number. You'll see it behind me. And for those of you who already texted this, you don't need to do it again. But if you're watching for the first time, or maybe you didn't text this number last time, I want to invite you to text this number. This number is going to send you this sheet of paper to your phone. You can print it, take it with you on your next Zoom call, on your next time in the office. You're going to sit there. And I think we're just trying to give you the tools to start conversations with people, to see them. I mean, who was your favorite grade school teacher and why? That'll tell you a little bit about somebody, right? Uh, my first grade teacher was Miss Tolliver. I remember her to this day. Um, what is your most special belonging? 
right? That'll tell you about a person. These aren't going to fix the problems of our politics in our world, but you know what? It'll get us started. This week, last week, I challenged you to have three meals with your family. I challenged you to sit down and to ask these questions, or your own questions. You don't have to use these. This is just a tool we want to give you to do that. This week, the challenge is similar. I want to invite you to invite a coworker, um, a boss, maybe anybody you work with or have contact with, and maybe that's a Zoom call. Maybe you can use these questions on a Zoom call. What if you started your Zoom call just a few minutes earlier? Like, you know what, Margaret, how you doing? And, and, and if somebody asks you that, be honest with them. None of the surface level chit chat, right? Like, it's a really crappy day. It's a really crappy time in our country. We're going through a lot of struggle. I was like, ooh, let's get that off our chest a little bit. Let's talk about that, right? Don't talk politics. We're done with that. <clears throat> but invest in the person. Three times this week, that's your challenge. Find a way to do it. I hope this tool will give you what you need. Um, but tell me your stories like you did last week. I want to hear them. Send them to me. If you're watching at home today, type in a story maybe of a time this week that you spent it with family, that maybe you use these questions or your own questions. So as you think on those things, as you start your conversations, as you think of ways to make sacrifices, to see the other, let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for the opportunity. God, for the opportunity to see. God, we know that often in life we have blinders on and we can't see those around us. God, help us to see the person sitting across from us. We spend more time with those we work with than anybody else in our life, yet we know them the least. God, help us to know one another, to build relationships, to invest, to love. God, I believe in my heart that you set that model and example for us, and that is where the change begins. It doesn't begin by convincing other people that our political stance is right. God, we know it, it changes when we can have dialogue, when we can see another person's pain, when we can see our pain in their pain, when we can see ourselves in them and see you in them. God, help us to see as you see. God, help us to have that grounding. Help us to have that dirt removed from our eyes to see the human that is sitting across from us. God, help us to see that that opportunity is all around us each and every day. God, we love you. Help us to see that opportunity. Help us to see that there is good in that and help us to be that good. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.